The following podcast episode is with Joseph from Ermi Sound, and I thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with him. I think that he is someone who is very thoughtful and have a lot of interesting um, thoughts and ideas to share about sound healing and sound therapy in general, and also how to approach spirituality in an urban environment. I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you want to give me a follow on Instagram, you can do that at Torniamo. So today I am here with Joseph from Ermi Sound, and it's such a pleasure to have you on, because uh, I've been following you on Instagram for a long time, seeing a journey. Recently, we met for a coffee in person. I just felt like this immediate energetic connection, so it's great to um, share our thinking and our conversation to more listeners as well. So, Joseph, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and also what's Ermi Sound? Hi, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, my name is Joseph, and Ermi Sound is my sound project. And really, it was founded on this inquiry into the relationship we have between sound and vibration and our state of being and then looking at all of the ways that we come into exchange with sound and so when we understand that sound and vibration is this ubiquitous thing it's all, all around us um and if you want to go really granular it is us it's everything that there is uh on a vibrational level but when we realize all of the sounds that surround us what kind of effects are those having on our lives, on the way that we feel, on the way that we express ourselves, and the way that we experience life. And through Ermi, I wanted to just put a frame around that. So looking at things like music, why does certain pieces of music make us feel happy, make us feel sad? Sometimes when we feel sad, we'll put a sad song on to really dive into that um so just acknowledging the power that that can hold even outside of music why does rainfall make us feel that sense of release through our nervous system and conversely when we're on a really packed central line on a monday morning why does that clench our jaws make our shoulders rise so there was that curiosity about this thing that's all around us that's affecting us in really huge ways but we're not really talking about it and then leading into that understanding how we can harness that for therapeutic purposes um, so very naturally kind of stepped into sound therapy with gong baths um, these kind of deep sound journeys with therapeutic instruments like the gong crystal bowls um, and then kind of branching that out into less kind of known therapeutic instrumentation and bringing in other elements and playing with how that can make us feel. Um, but as I say, Ermi is kind of this broader inquiry that also looks at language. How, you know, has vibration become encoded with meaning and language, with words, um, art, space the soundscape of the space what does that do to us um so that is that's i mean in a nutshell 
Mm, so I have recently begun attending some um, sound baths. And last week, was it last Sunday, I attended a class where the gong was the predominant instrument, basically. And I think I've come to understand that I actually prefer gong over um, over the crystal balls. Interestingly enough, I probably need crystal balls more than I need the gong because I was like vibrating. But like this, then it was like this level of intensity with the gong, basically, which I wasn't feeling necessarily with the with the um, with the bowls. But I think that the bowls is probably what I need because it's more soothing. I think like the gong was much more like uplifting, basically. And actually, afterwards, I was like, God, this was really intense. But I really also liked it. I think that's probably because a part of my personality is like I like a bit of intensity. Um, but yeah, I, I, I th- so I think I've come to terms with that. Probably the gong, the gong is my my preferred instrument, but I probably need the bowls more. So how did you how did you get into this? Like, where did it begin? Uh, so I've had about five years to kind of neatly put this together in a nice linear narrative, and I still haven't been able to do that. <laughs> I don't really know how it first happened. Um, I, so I started as, um, I did my yoga teacher training and my meditation teacher training, and I was teaching postural yoga for a little while. Um, that was on a part-time basis. I still had a full-time office job. Uh, so that was very different hats that I was switching between the two. Mm. And I had my own yoga practice, but then sharing postural yoga, I wasn't sure that this felt like what I needed to share with the world. Um, so I kind of moved away from that, got closer to the mindfulness practices of yoga and then kind of similar practices outside of the yoga tradition. Um, and I also got really deep into the kind of philosophy, history, and literature of the yoga tradition, um, which kind of birthed my love for Sanskrit, uh, which I later went on to study. Um, so that's maybe a, a sensible starting point, because mm. I don't think I would have encountered sound in the same way as a mindfulness practice had I not started there and kind of got this foundation. <clears throat> so... A couple of years later, I was at a music festival with some friends and it was the first day of the music festival. It was an electronic festival called Houghton. Um, and Houghton is known for, it's curated by Craig Richards from Fabric, he owns Fabric. And he makes this amazing lineup every year of just the best artists in electronic music. Um, So I went in there for that, not expecting this to be, um, you know, like a peaceful, mindful experience. But I saw on the program on the first day, there was a sound bath listed. Mm. I had no idea what this was. I'd never heard of one, really. Um, But I was like, this sounds really cool. Uh, So I tried to convince my friends to go with me. None of them would come with me. I think there must have been someone they wanted to see. Um, and also they just kind of stared at me in like blank confusion when I pitched it to them. 
so I took myself off the the festival had no phone signal so that was a fun time afterwards trying to find them again um but went to this it was in this geodesic dome and I think there was only like six other people um but it was absolutely incredible just the the sensation of going deep into yourself feeling the vibration wash through the body and what that stirred within um it was just such a, a novel experience that i was kind of hooked from that moment and so from there a few months later i came across this training in guatemala and i was already going going to guatemala uh, at the time so it's not very fortuitous it was just on a I, I think it was someone i followed on instagram posted about this training it was in guatemala when i was going to be in guatemala in the exact same area in this village uh on lake atitlan um so like this feels fate fated mm. or algorithmic one of the two but it, it, either way uh very fated i think because we so i with uh my partner at the time down we went on this training and just connected so much with the teachings with the practice and every I, I think realizing that every time we stepped into the practice it was such a unique experience within so one day it perhaps brought up brought up um sort of memories and emotions that needed to be brought to the surface and there was this kind of processing and letting go and another time we would step into the practice there was this kind of drawing in of insight and inspiration and creative thought um, and then another time we fell asleep and had like the best sleep ever and felt amazing after just realizing the potential this had um in kind of the the range of experience that it facilitated we really connected with and so we both brought our own practice back to london and went from there mm. That's really, that's, I would, I would agree with you. I think that it was fated. I most certainly, like, what are the odds that there'll be like a sound bath training or sort of sound training on whilst you're going to Guatemala? Like, what are the odds? Obviously, thank God we have these sort of algorithms that help us make these fated things come true. You know, thank God for the social media, although obviously it has loads of dangers. Um, it can also be a very beneficial thing. So far, you have mentioned your yoga training, your meditation training, mindfulness training, obviously, sound training as well. And I suspect that um, underlying all of that, or at least I would assume so, that there is some sort of spiritual practice or spiritual philosophy, especially with obviously by studying yoga in Sanskrit. I suppose I'm curious about with all of that learning and reflection and so on and so forth over the last five plus years, what does spirituality now mean to you? I think one of the biggest challenges of spirituality is, or has been for me, is kind of making sense of these practices and knowledge systems which have originated in vastly different contexts to the one that, we're, that they're being applied to now. So 
yoga, if we take yoga, for example, and how this lineage had originated thousands of years ago in the Himalayas, um, what does it mean to then practice that in London in 2023? Mm. Um, so I think that's been a challenge of of working out what that means. Um, so really, I think a journey of spirituality for me has been applying these practices to the world that we live in now and kind of making peace with the fact that it is a very different world and that we have different demands and that we have different lifestyles. And so rather than trying to understand these practices in a vacuum my experience of spirituality has been applying them to everyday life and finding the spiritual in the mundane so um one of the the key themes of, of Ermi is also art how art can be a spiritual practice how mm. it can be used to enrich our our lives spiritually um simple things like food not necessarily what we're eating although there is that as well but the experience of how we're eating it sometimes i find the most spiritually fulfilling experiences are it is, is sharing a meal with friends and with loved ones of being in community so that's been an interesting new step for me is finding the spiritual in the things that we do every day Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's uh and it's a really, really hard thing to perhaps do in like an urban city, an urban environment, because we're like always on the go and you know, it's it's interesting. I did a reading for someone um like a couple of months ago and she is someone who had like a really, really strong spiritual practice and she was someone who also had a corporate job basically. At home, she had a really, really strong um spiritual practice, but she also had a I think she was the vice president of like some sort of large IT company, basically. So towards the end of the conversation, I asked her, like, how do you how do you like uh, bring that together? Or like, how do you reconcile having like a corporate job and a spiritual practice? And she was like, you know, Tor, um, I, I weave it into everyday decisions. You know, when it comes to scaling a project or not scaling a project or the pace of the project or how I communicate the project to people who are above and also below me and like how can I do that in like the most kind compassionate way but also to not shy away from like a difficult conversation but still doing that in like a really human way and I think that was just such a she just said that so beautifully and I think that in so many ways like kind of what you alluded to right now as well it's like how can we bring that you know quote-unquote mindfulness or consciousness or a sense of spirituality into all of our daily actions right be it communicating with a loved one having a meal or even talking to a co-worker like how can we sort of um, channel for lack of a better word that sense of spirituality into everyday moments exactly and to bring it into the world as well because mm. I think there can be the sense sometimes where we want to retreat. Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely had my hermit phases of we spirituality did. where I've just wanted to meditate and shy away from the world. But 
what, how then can we bring that back into the world and to make the world a better place? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And that's definitely a huge project that I'm kind of thinking about and working on. Because I'm also the same. Like sometimes I'm just like, oh, it'd be so easy to just move to like a cottage in the cottage in a forest mm-hmm. and just do like Zoom work and have no time in the city. But I think I do think there is something about like being able to live in the city whilst still retaining some of that spiritual integrity. I think that's a project well worth working on, basically. Exactly. Someone's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it, right? Although someday, yeah. at some point when I'm older, I do suspect that I'll probably um, move to some sort of cottage in the forest. And be <laughs> like, somebody else can do it now. I'm done. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I was curious, I'm curious about, have you looked into, and, and you may not have looked into this, but what about the science of like sound therapy and sound healing? What does the, what does the science say about this? Because I, in so many ways, like actually sound therapy and sound healing can be very sort of atheist. It doesn't necessarily need to have some sort of spiritual connotation. I think what it does to me is because of like the heritage and the lineage and where it sort of comes from. But in then in this day and age, it doesn't necessarily sort of need to do that like mindfulness doesn't necessarily need to have like a spiritual element to it although I think it should but it doesn't need to um yeah what have you looked into any of the science of like sound healing and sound therapy yeah absolutely I think there's so many different kind of paradigms in which you could talk about sound therapy so you were able to speak about it in terms of what kind of brainwave state it induces Mm. and from there what those brainwave states induced throughout the body so how they activate the parasympathetic nervous system how they lower the heart rate there's all the physiological changes that are catalyzed by that um conversely you can talk about it in terms of energy in terms of its as you say it's not inherently uh, religious or spiritual but it is found throughout so many of the of different traditions around the world mm. um, from the major abrahamic religions that we're more familiar with to um indigenous uh wisdom lineage wisdom lineages um throughout how sound and vibration is used whether that's for healing or for devotion or for some kind of contemplative practice, mm. um, we find it everywhere. Mm, mm, yeah, no, absolutely. How does it, do you know how it shows up in life? Because I can have a much more imagination how it actually shows up in sort of ancient wisdom or like that kind of um, spiritual path. But how does it really show up in like the Abrahamic religion? Like that we're more familiar with, is that more song or how does that show up, would you say? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing we find across many of those uh kind of core texts uh texts sorry many of those that we find across the core kind of uh texts of those religions there's this theme of there being uh a word or a sound or a vibration this Mm. kind of primordial sound so in the bible it says in the beginning there was the word and the word was god um, in Hinduism, we have the sacred syllable of Om. Mm-hmm. Um, right, sure. Okay, yeah. Linguists have connected Om to Armin in Islam and Amen 
in uh, Christianity, this kind of primordial vowel sound. Mm. Uh, so that's just a little kind of common feature. But then, of course, we have devotional um, sound, mm-hmm. the chants in Christianity. We have Gregorian chants. Um, obviously, in, in Hinduism, in uh, Buddhism as well, we have uh, Sanskrit mantra. So all of the ways that vibration is used and for different purposes, whether that's, they say, worship um, or for some kind of self-realization or or healing. Mm, yes, of course. Yes, I, I'm sort of it left me the idea of like, oh, it's obviously yeah, very it's a very um, famous sound in that sense. So you've been doing Urmi for about five years, right? Mm-hmm. Where is it going now? Like you've had it. You have, you've had this baby for about five years like how are you bringing it how is it aging how is it evolving how are you going to bring it into like adolescence basically excuse the analogies but that's what came to me <laughs> in the moment Ermi's puberty Ermi's puberty basically yeah yeah what does that mean well as i as i alluded to before art has become kind of front and center of my spiritual practice and I'd really like to integrate that more into Ermi's offering. So Ermi has been historically very sound focused um, and it will continue to be sound focused. But uh, one of the offerings that I'm most excited about is uh, something called sound play. So this borrows principles from sound therapy. Everyone gets a, a little mini easel, it's very cute. Um, a canvas and some paints um, and that's set up at the foot of their mat and so it begins with a more traditional sound journey and then afterwards we're all invited to paint so we take a moment with the canvas and there's this invitation to just open and to see what emerges from the brush um, I think we find as well that the sound experience is so, not always, but it can be very visual and very sensory. It can bring up a lot of things. And when that's all stirring within us, that doesn't stop immediately when we we ring the bell at the end. That process continues to move through us, even once we've left the space. And so... I always remind people of that process and I try to suggest ways that they can continue that process moving through and flowing outward. So if something's risen to the surface, how do we make it continue on its way? So writing is always very helpful for that movement. Um, But the way that I found is most helpful is through art and through painting and so there's this shared space where people are able to paint and not only are they able to do that but they're able to get in touch with their I think we will have an inner artist which Mm. sometimes gets taken away from us often at at an early age you're either arty or you're not and I think that's a real shame because this is something that we all have we should all tap into because its ability to let us express ourselves with things that go beyond words 
you know, sometimes words just don't cut it. Um, so this is kind of a dual pronged approach to, to get people processing and moving that energy out, but also to connect people back to themselves and their creative expression. Mm, that's beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. Did you, where does, where does this interest in art come from for you? I mean, I also have a huge interest in art. So I'm really curious about like, where, I, where did it come from, come from for you? Like, where did that emerge? Um, I think it's been bubbling away in the background for a really long time. Mm. Uh, so I should mention as well, this is actually uh, developed in collaboration with uh, Parabi Joshi, who is an amazing mm. uh, teacher and practitioner. Um, so we've just been, we were just discussing uh, this as an idea and it started as a seed and now it's been brought to life. But in terms of my own personal relationship to art, I think I've always considered it as almost something frivolous I think it was always something I saw as enriching but not necessarily um restorative and nourishing healing and I think over the last four years I started to understand how art made me feel and how it How, how it could be used to uh, kind of make sense of things and as a meaning-making tool as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I also find it very um, therapeutical. I sometimes do that after I've done my meditation in the morning or in the evening. I just bring out like a piece of paper and I have some pens and I just mm. squibble, basically. Unfortunately, not very good at drawing. I wish it's one of the <laughs> skills I wish I was better at because I do have like extremely vivid meditations and I wish... There's a part of me which wish I could like bring that out on like paper because I think that could be a really interesting exhibition or whatever. Mm. It might be something I need to like pick up because I do get loads of like visions and prophecies and stuff like in my meditation. So it'd be really interesting to actually get that sort of drawn out on a on a piece of paper. But I'm like a stick person kind of person, and that's uh, probably, I know. Does, what if you change your medium to say watercolors? And you're able to capture more of an abstract. Oh yeah, maybe that's a good idea. So it'll become like a more an abstract sense of it. Maybe I need to consider watercolors and do that instead. That is a really, really good good shout. Yeah, because I'm like a. I've actually tried to do some sort of courses on, but it just doesn't. I probably haven't put enough practice into it either, but it just doesn't seem to um come together basically. But maybe watercoloring is a is a really, really good shot of sort of get the abstract idea of it and get that down on the paper. That's not a bad idea, Joseph. I'll uh, I'll definitely um, think about that. I've also noticed in your, I noticed this a while ago and you did also mention it when we were, um, when we met for a coffee, but you mentioned um, Earth Song, which I first of all think is a beautiful name for a project like, you know, you have sound play, earth song. These are great channeled names and titles for projects and ideas. What's what's Earth Song all about? So I've gotta I've gotta take I've gotta give credit to Paravi for sound play, but I agree it's a wonderful name. Right. Um Earth Song. Yeah, that 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 one did come to me just in a moment, in a kind of a light bulb moment where I was thinking about 
whale song, bird song, earth song, this sound of nature and the way the earth produces this music for us. Um, not only music, but music that has been shown to have a restorative effect on the body. Um, so earth song really is a, it's a workshop series, an immersive workshop series, but its intention is to reconnect people to nature. And so fostering, fostering that sense of connection to the natural world and by extension of that, connecting people to the climate emergency in a healthy and productive way. Mm. So kind of on the logic that so much of climate communications is saturated with visuals, doomsday messaging, statistics, mm. um, I think we've kind of reached a point where a lot of it bounces off us now. Um, maybe we've turned ourselves off to it off, turned ourselves off to it to protect ourselves um and so i wanted to use the senses mostly sound but also scent uh taste as well to bring people back into connection with nature mm. and to offer a narrative of hope and forward movement and so the three workshop series, uh, they kind of highlight a nature-based solution for planet and for body. So kind of on this idea that uh, there's this intersection between planetary health and human health, something I think we forget about in, in more conventional wellness spaces that we can't be spiritually fulfilled if the world is on fire um so just to give an example uh we have one of them is is called oceanic soundscapes and it looks at seaweed as a resource that's healing for the planet but also healing for the body so something for its nutrient profile but also for its uh carbon capture capabilities um all of these different usages for uh, climate solutions and so that begins as a kind of like a lecture um, and then it moves into the sound journey which is composed of field recordings electronic components um, things that evoke the ecosystem in question so in this case the ocean um, that's the sounds of you know, whale song um, there's even this like siren vocal uh, that's very haunting. And then combining that with the therapeutic instruments like the gong, the crystal bowls, using the states that they facilitate and merging the two. And then of course that's the sense. So the scents are released uh, at different points throughout. So for the oceanic soundscapes, there's kind of coastal botanical scents ocean spray, uh, algae, scents being released. Um, I'm really just wanting to bring people into that very kind of fuzzy in-between state that we go to in a sound bath, but also bringing in those influences of the theme 
so that there's that really deep felt connection to the stimuli. So mm. it's, it's the ocean. Mm, I love the I love the sound of that. I was just at a business conference um, by something called MySpec Ventures, and it's basically a company that brings together brings together different um, events companies. And this year was all about climate change or climate crisis, um, all about like rewilding, um, which is I suppose in so many ways very similar to Earth Song. It's like how to rewild, but they were they weren't just talking about like how to rewild nature. It was also talking about rewild rewilding yourself and also rewilding your business basically. And they were kind of staying away from the word sustainability. Like it was much more about like regeneration and circular economy and that kind of stuff, which I thought was um, really, really interesting. And also is obviously incredibly useful. When do you think are these workshops live? Or like how can we how can we attend this? Like how does one how does one get to do one? Uh they are in uh in development at the moment. So mm -hmm. we've actually uh we've showcased a couple of the workshops in kind of early iterations. Um our mycelium meditations workshop uh we were able to do a few times and that looks at fungi as this kind of uh the 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 humanitarian ethos of fungi and how we can apply that mm. to our to our lives and our approach. Uh so that has been that that's been live for a little while. But the other soundscapes are being worked on and that should be I don't want to give a date, but that should be <laughs> ready in a few months, hopefully, if things stay on track. Um and yeah, really excited about those. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. Cause I do think that it's it's so interesting what you said. It's like we become we I think a lot of people have become like sanitized to sort of the more traditional messages around like the climate crisis and and what a lot of sort of um, organizations are doing and I do think that there isn't there is a space for people to like enter into like a hopeful space where perhaps you know I do think that you know I was using the word channel channeling earlier you're sort of channeling the word earth song basically and I do think that um if you can create a space or an experience which isn't like fear inducing which I think a lot of the sort of climate crisis rightly so it's like we, we should be worried about these things but we perhaps we are not bringing the, the best of ourselves isn't necessarily brought out in those kind of environments whilst you know it sounds like perhaps what you are endeavoring to facilitate is a space which is much more hopeful and perhaps we're able to channel some ideas and thoughts around how can we actually um, move this forward in a way which works for more people and is not necessarily rooted in fear but is actually rooted in hope basically exactly because fear makes us freeze yeah. and i think hope can mobilize us to make change and yeah. to take inspired action so one thing i'd really like to i'd really like to take this to schools eventually mm. um because i think change comes from changing consciousness and how we conceptualize things mm. so this is trying to go in at the root yeah 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 no exactly that's really that's really exciting i'm i'm really yeah i'm really excited to see how that comes and obviously i'll publish it and whatever when all of that is coming out so 
you and I are kind of a part of the same sort of spiritual industry in London in so many ways. And there's modes, there's loads of more people um, stepping into this space, both people who are just novices and just want to experience a sand bath or meditation or energy healing or any kinds of forms of healing. Um, I suppose I have like two questions. And the first one, it's like, if someone is currently listening to this and they are completely new to spirituality or sambats or any like if you were going to give them a tips on how to approach this like what would you what would you say to like a complete novice or beginner who's currently just stepping into this space as a as a participant as a participant yeah I should have made that clear as a participant so I always get asked from first times so like what do I wear? What do I do? No, mm. Nothing. <laughs> the best part, the best part about this is you have to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, just turn up, wear what you want, just something you're going to be comfortable in, but there's absolutely nothing to kind of work yourself up about here. Um, no one's going to know that you've never done this before. You could be a pro. Um, we will just lie down, get cozy and close our eyes. Um, the one piece of advice I always, always stress at the beginning of a sound bath is the very unique and intuitive nature of this practice. And the way I see it is that there's us and whatever we're bringing to this practice. So the parts of ourselves that resonate with the different instruments, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's coming up. And then there's the practice itself. And there's this co-creation in the middle. And of course, we're all very different. We're bringing different energies to the practice. And so one person might be having this psychedelic experience where things are flooding to the surface. Maybe they're kind of soaring through the cosmos. In, in their own interior world and the person next to them has been asleep for the whole time but in this really deep uh, restorative kind of deep rest state um, it's like like described as the best nap you'll ever have um, the moment we kind of let go of steering it um, and trust that the process is unfolding however it's meant to unfold. So if something is being brought up that you're being asked to revisit, let that happen. Um, or if you just need to tap out and completely shut down for a while, let that happen. Mm. Whatever's happen happening is meant to be happening. Mm. That's my one piece of advice. That is actually, that's wonderful advice, because um, I do often see that in clients, it's like they're trying to control the experience, mm. or like trying to control the construct that I'm building for them or, help, or helping them build. Yeah, you just got to let it go, basically, and just see what shows up in the moment. Yeah. Do you ever feel when you're working with a participant that certain things are trying to be brought to the surface from their side are they trying to kind of energetically oh yeah not you in certain directions yeah yeah no absolutely that does it does happen that they want to address like a specific thing in that mm. moment um and actually it's also much more about just letting go and just seeing what shows up and actually when they are able to let go the experience is always much more profound yeah 
than yeah. when than when like trying to control it basically um so we've spoken a bit about like participants coming in and what they can do beginning what would you say is like one of the main challenges that we have as spiritual practitioners today like in this world today like especially like in the london sphere but just worldwide like what do you think is one of our main challenges Oh, good question. Um, so, touched on this earlier, but I think the disparity between the spiritual practice and the life around that practice, mm. I think especially in an urban environment like London, it can be very hard to live from that space all the time. Mm. Um, I think we will try to and we try to approach these challenges from that place but I think we get tested a lot mm. um, and so that was actually kind of what I was getting out with Ernie wanting to to move them closer together and to let the non-spiritual be spiritual and then let the spiritual sometimes be non-spiritual as well and bring kind of and mesh them together um i think it can be challenging to 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 feel well and healed and fulfilled when our access to nature is restricted or when there is unrest and dissatisfaction out in out in our environments and communities um it can be difficult to apply uh to to, to apply that that ethos to that so i that that's something that i'm working out every day how does this make sense for the world that I live in yeah yeah no you're you're so absolutely right and you know we've sort of touched on this before it's like how do we bring the very tranquil experience of a meditation yoga sound studio into our daily life basically that mm. is our that is our challenge isn't it how do we communicate that um as spiritual practitioners this is something I think a lot about which I haven't necessarily this is a this is something I'm working on, and I don't know what I'm going to call it just yet. But there is something about like conscious leadership or like spiritual leadership, and like how do we bring that into our daily life beyond the meditation studio, yoga studio, sound studio, or experience? Like how do we bring it into the ways in which that we run communities and business, and like how do we weave it into everything that we do? It's something I uh, think a lot about and find find really really interesting. Yeah, you just yeah. yeah. Yeah, just, we 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 were discussing this idea of when the purity and serenity of a yoga studio, and then the chaos of everyday life. Mm. There's got to be a meeting point, but sometimes it's hard to find. It's really really hard to find. So just to br start bringing everything to a close, how do you in to, in these days with everything that is going on outside in the world, which can be quite heartbreaking? You know, when you look at stuff that's happening in America or Ukraine or just in our daily life like how do you how do you bring yourself back to yourself like how do you bring a sense of how do you bring a sense of calm into your daily life 
I, it, this is going to be really ungroundbreaking to people listening, but meditation, I think, is mm. essential. And I think as well, you know, as we just touched on, having a consistent meditation practice in the world that we live in is really challenging. Mm. Some days are going to be missed. Um, but I think having a practice to anchor to, mm. knowing that it's there, and also if you miss a day, if you miss two days, not a problem. But knowing that you can go back to it um, has been really essential for me. Um, again, journaling, similar to what art is able to do, being able to just move things out from my mind and from my body because I feel like if it stays in my mind it will eventually find its way to my body having a journaling practice to just get the energy out has been really helpful for me and again five minutes ten minutes is sometimes mm. all it takes but just having that um consistently has been really helpful um what are your what are your kind of anchors yeah i mean i do the same things um i do definitely do do the same two things that you do meditate every day journal every day um i've also begun a lot recently to go on like um contemplative walks which means that i leave my phone at home and go for a walk basically um which i find very i, I do it usually like immediately when i wake up so I basically just put a jumper and like some sort of sweatpants on and I'm like out of the door basically just to um, start that walk. And I find that I find those three things really um, useful and then just try and bring those sort of conscious awareness moments into my daily life whenever I can. Obviously, sometimes it gets lost. Um, but yeah, that's that's a lot of what I what I do. Thank you so much for coming on, Joseph. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, where can people find you? How can they link in? Like, how can they find Ermi, Earthsong? Like, how can they find out more about you? Thanks. Yeah, I, I love this chat. It's been great. Um, so I can be found at Ermi Sound on Instagram. I have a website as well, ermisound.com. So that's U-R-M-I uh, sound. And then there is also Earthsong Project. Um, and again, our website for that is earthsongproject.org, um, which just has all the, the information about these different parts tying together, uh, if that's of interest. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And obviously we'll be sharing this everywhere. Bye, everyone. Thank, thank you, you so for listening. Much.